Martin Luther was a pastor in Germany in the 16th century. His job was to help people know who God was. His job was to teach the Bible. He not only went to church, he actually lived at his church. He was a very religious man. He had all the spiritual practices in place. And yet, even though he was a pastor, even though he was at church all the time, even though outwardly he was very religious, inwardly he was a wreck. He was filled with anxiety. He was filled with depression. He was filled with fear that God wouldn't love him and that God wouldn't accept him. His spiritual life was marked by duty more than it was by delight. He was someone who was outwardly very religious, but inwardly filled with fear and anxiety. And then he says that one day, everything changed. And he says that the day everything began to change in his life was the day that he encountered the gospel. The day that he realized that he could be right with God, that he could have a relationship with God, not because of what he does, but because of what Jesus had done for him. And he said the day he encountered the gospel was the day that everything changed and he began to delight in his relationship with God, not just obey him out of duty. And from that day, when Luther encountered the gospel, it didn't just change his life, but ultimately would change his church, his city, and his world, because the gospel is power. To this day, the gospel changes lives, it changes cities, and it will one day heal the whole world. Luther, throughout his life, when he was trying to then help people experience the very same gospel that he encountered, he would take them to the book of Galatians. In his estimation, Galatians was the best place in the Bible to get a picture of what the gospel is and how the gospel works or operates in a person's life. And so this autumn here at Reality, we're going to be looking at the gospel in the book of Galatians. And part of the reason why we as a church need to do that right now is because in our city, people are asking the question, what does it mean to be free? I don't mean politically free, but as a human being, what does it mean to be a free, authentic person? And one of the modern ways that people think about freedom is the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want. If you feel an urge, if you have a longing, go for it. No one, no group, no idea, no ideology should get in the way of you being free to do whatever you want, whenever you want. The great uh, Danish philosopher, Princess Elsa, once put it this way, uh, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I am free. That's a modern definition of freedom. Nobody gets to tell me who I am or what I do, I decide for myself. But actually what the Bible says is that way about thinking of freedom, it's actually a kind of bondage. Because then you're just a slave to your great desires, your strongest desires. But the book of Galatians and understanding the gospel gives us a different vision of freedom, what it means to be fully alive and truly free. It's a vision that says real freedom in life is not the absence of constraint, it's finding the right life-giving constraints. You know, if a fish says to you, I'm just, I'm so tired of living in the water. I want to be free. I'm going on to the land. That fish will very quickly realize that the greatest freedom it can experience is to be within the constraints of water. And if God is real and if he made the world, then the most free a person can be 
is living within the constraints of the gospel. The good news that God has done something in Jesus Christ to save the world. And so we need the message of Galatians. This city needs the message of Galatians. And so as a church, we're going to spend the next number of weeks looking at the gospel in this story and considering what it means for us. Now, today, you just heard read the first nine verses. This is the introduction to the letter. And Paul, in these verses, is giving an overview of what the whole book's about. So you can almost think of today's sermon kind of like an overview of the book of Galatians. But what we really see here is the heart of the gospel. And so let me, looking at these verses, show you three things. First, you desperately need the gospel. Second, a Christian never graduates from the gospel. And then third, there's no greater comfort than the gospel. The gospel, you desperately need it. You never graduate from it. And there's no greater comfort than it. Let's take a look. First, you desperately need the gospel. Some of you know that in June of 2018, there were 12 boys and their soccer coach who went into a cave system in northern Thailand. These boys walked two and a half miles into the cave. And by the way, when I say walked, I sometimes mean crawled through tiny passageways. And whilst they were inside that cave system about two and a half miles in, unbeknownst to them, it started pouring rain outside. And very dangerously, the cave began to flood. And instantly, passageways that they had crawled or walked through were now completely flooded. And so they were two and a half miles inside this cave, sitting in an open chamber on an elevated rock, just watching the water rise. They were trapped inside this cave. And they had no way of escaping. Their way out was blocked by water. They would have to swim with zero visibility against a current, sometimes underwater for more than an hour. They were fully trapped. And to make matters worse, July in northern Thailand is monsoon season. So even though right now they had an elevated rock on which they could sit, it would literally be a matter of weeks before the entire cave system was completely flooded. They were trapped. And the only hope they had for survival was to be rescued. They could do nothing to save themselves. Someone or some group from the outside had to come and get them and bring them out to safety. They were trapped and their only hope was to be rescued. Now look with me if you would again at verses three and four of our passage. Paul says that that is actually your condition. Verse 3 and 4, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Here's the first thing you need to see about Christianity or the gospel. The gospel, the message of Christianity, is not a self-help program. Christianity is not about things you can do to make your life better. Say, I'm doing pretty well. I've got most of my life sorted and figured out. I just need a little Jesus on the side, kind of like an accessory to beautify this part of my life. Christianity is not a self-help program. It's a rescue religion. Could you imagine if when those professional rescue cave divers finally got to those boys, two and a half miles in, and they said, oh good, we found you guys. 
But we've come not as rescuers, we've come as teachers. So we brought some books with us about how to cave dive, read these books, listen to our teaching, and then swim out of the cave. It would have been absurd. It would have been impossible. The only hope for those boys was for someone to do for them what they could never do for themselves. And Paul's saying, that's what Christianity is. The gospel is about rescue. It's about what Jesus has done to save you when you could have no hope of saving yourself. Christianity is really a rescue religion. And you say, well, rescued from what? Well, Paul tells us, verse 4, the present evil age. Now, in a few weeks, when we get to Galatians 5, we're going to talk a lot more about this. So I'm going to try to be brief here. But what does it mean that we're rescued from the present evil age? Or what is the present evil age? And here's what it is in summary. The present evil age is the gravitational pull that brings or draws a person away from God. And it makes them more and more self-absorbed. Have you ever been swimming in the sea and you look up at the sand and you see, okay, great. We're right in front of that red, you know, beach chair, red umbrella. And then you start swimming and you're, you know, enjoying the water. And then you look up again and you realize, oh my gosh, we've drifted. We're now a quarter mile down the sea and we didn't even feel it. That's the present evil age, spiritually. It's the thing that is around us and even inside of us that without our being aware of it, pulls us away from God. And it makes us more and more self-absorbed. Sometimes the Bible calls the present evil age our flesh. Sometimes it calls it sin. And it's something that's outside of us. We have a real enemy called the devil. And that temptation that we feel, the brokenness in the world, it pulls us away from God. But also, and more scary, the present evil age is inside of you. Sin is something that dwells in each person. It's a fundamental posture of the heart that says to God, I don't need you and I don't want you. I've got this sorted on my own. And Paul says we're trapped in the present evil age. We're trapped in this current that's pulling us away from God and we can't save ourselves. We can't help ourselves. You say, is that really true? Am I really, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I live a pretty good life. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm really nice. I give, I serve, I, you know, I'm a pretty good person. The present evil age is so dangerous because it's so subtle in how it pulls people away from God. Let me give you an example. Luke chapter 15, there is a story that Jesus tells about two brothers he calls them the younger brother and the older brother. Now, the younger brother is the kind of person that we would typically think of as very sinful. He says to his dad, dad, give me my inheritance. Give me the money that's owed me. And he takes his money and he does the equivalent of going off to Vegas. It's good for you in the UK that I at least haven't found yet an equivalent of Vegas. Uh, but he goes off and, you know, the Bible says he, he spends all of his money in wild living. You know, the, the kinds of stuff that you would associate with a very immoral life. And so here's a young brother who wants his father's things, but he goes off and he squanders it. In the other part of the story, Jesus says something about the older brother. And the older brother is the opposite. He's moral. 
He always does what pleases his father. He keeps the rules. He shows up on time to serve. He never says a bad word. He never, he never lives outside the line. But when we get to the end of the story, what we realize is that the older brother does all those really good things, not because he loves his father, but because he wants his father to be in his debt. He's trying to control his father by his goodness. And what you see actually is that both the younger brother and the older brother, they don't want the father. They just want the father's things. And that's what the Bible calls sin. That whether you're really bad or really good, you're trying to save yourself. You're living for self rather than living in dependency on God. And I'll give you another example of how this current, uh, the, the present evil age works, this sort of gravitational current. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, you know, before he became a Christian, he was a lot like Luther, very religious. He knew the Bible. He was trying to help other people follow God. But inwardly, he was a wreck. He was filled with fear that God wouldn't love him and accept him. And so one place in the book of Romans, when Paul's describing his life before encountering the gospel, he says, I know that within me dwells no good thing. He says, I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do that I keep on doing. Have you ever felt like that? The good that I know I should do, I can't do it. And all the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. What is that? That's the present evil age. It's the current that's pulling you that you can't fight against. We were trapped. But Paul says the gospel, the heart of Christianity, is not Jesus throwing you a lifeboat and saying, good luck, find your way out of this current. It's Jesus himself jumping in the water to save you. And Paul tells us how Jesus would do that. Come back to Galatians 1. How does Jesus rescue us from the present evil age? He gave himself for our sins. Now that's language that speaks of Jesus dying on the cross. You see, you and I were stuck. We were trapped. But what did Jesus do? He came and he died in your place. You see, you were stuck in the current evil age. But what did Jesus do? He plunged himself into it. The Bible says that Jesus took our sin, our shame, our failure upon himself so that we could be freed. You see, all of us in our life in this city, we're trying to hide. We're trying to find an identity. We're trying to, to feel okay about who we are. And we're tired from it. What Jesus does on the cross is he says, I'm doing for you what you can never do for yourself. I'm creating a way for you to be right with God. So now you can rest, you can hide in me. You can rest in me, you can trust in me. And that's the essence of the gospel, that Jesus came to rescue and to save his people from their sin. What you could never do for yourself, Jesus did on the cross. He gave himself up for you. Your goodness can't get you in, but your badness can't keep you out. That's the good news of the gospel. You desperately need it. You can't be free without it. But Paul goes on to say, not only do you desperately need the gospel, but second, a Christian never graduates from the gospel. That's what verses six through nine are about. And here, what Paul's saying in effect, and I'm gonna be brief here because we're gonna come back to this and 
the next two weeks. But what Paul's basically saying here is this. If you're a Christian, the gospel, the news about what Jesus has done for you, is not just how a person begins their spiritual life, and then you move on to bigger and better things. The gospel is the entirety of the Christian life. You never graduate, you never go beyond the gospel. The most mature Christian life is life in the gospel. And that's what got Paul so ticked off. You know, if you remember when we read verses six through nine, Paul's kind of upset in writing the book of Galatians. He says things like, if anybody brings to you a different gospel, which really is no gospel, let them be under God's curse. You're saying, Paul, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? I mean, that's pretty strong language. But for him, this is life and death, which is at stake. Because Paul knows there's nothing more dangerous to the human heart than a false gospel. The background for what's happening in Galatians is this. There's a bunch of churches that originally were planted and they were rooted in the true gospel. But eventually there were some false teachers who came along and here's what the false teachers were saying. Yes, believe in Jesus, trust in his death. But if you really want to be mature in your spiritual life, if you really want to be close to God, then it's up to you to finish the work that Jesus began. You've got to obey all the law. You've got to perform all the commandments or else. And so what these false teachers were doing was saying, yeah, start with Jesus, but you've got to finish the program. It was a gospel of self-salvation. And Paul, when he sees that, as Paul's aware that this false teaching is now tainting the church, he writes with a very strong and vivid letter to say, if anyone adds to the gospel, they pervert the gospel. If you add anything to Jesus's finished work on your behalf, it's not a different gospel. It's no gospel at all. It's not good news if it's news about what you must do to save yourself. And you know, the situation that we face today is not exactly like the Galatians. They had a very different background. But this same tendency is in our hearts today too. It's really hard to rest completely in the gospel because we don't want to be dependent on someone else. We're people that want to perform. We want to achieve. We want to, we don't want to need a savior. We don't mind having a coach, but we don't want to be rescued. What the real gospel does is it humbles us. It says you can't save yourself. You need saving. And Paul knows that if the Galatians forget that, they're going to go back into the old ways of trying to earn salvation by their performance. And in the process, they're going to lose what is the most important part of what the gospel brings, and that's the comfort. This is where we want to end our sermon today. Not only does a Christian never graduate from the gospel, but we learn there's no greater comfort than the gospel. Do you remember earlier at the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned Martin Luther? I said that even though he was outwardly very religious, he was involved in church leadership. Inside, he was filled with anxiety and fear. He was always fearing that God wouldn't love him. That if he sinned too much, if he didn't do enough good works, if he, if he had too many bad thoughts, that God would finally reject him and say, I'm done with you. I'm finished with you. I'm not going to love you anymore. 
And that fear came from not really knowing the gospel. Before Luther knew the gospel, he related to God simply as a lawgiver. But the gospel helped Luther experience God as a loving father. You see, the gospel is like a crack of thunder from heaven. It both confronts you, it startles you, and it also comforts and gives beauty. And today, what we need more than anything is both the confrontation and the comfort of the gospel. Some of you need to be confronted by the truth today that you are a great and desperate sinner. That you have no hope of saving yourself or rescuing yourself. That you stand fully in need of God's mercy. That you are like that person in the sea being pulled against a current much too strong for you. And the gospel confronts. The gospel says, you need help. You need saving. You need to be rescued. But that same gospel that confronts like a surgeon who wounds in order to heal, the gospel that confronts also brings comfort. Because the moment we acknowledge that we can't save ourselves is precisely the moment where we're plunged into Jesus's grace. Come back with me, if you would, to the text, verse four. Paul says, Jesus gave himself for our sins. That's why Jesus died, for your sin. The things that you're ashamed of, the things that make you feel not just unloved, but unlovable, the things that fill you with regret at night, the things that keep you up, the parts of your life that you would be terrified if anyone else ever saw. Or the exhaustion you feel by always feeling like you have to perform and achieve. That's why Jesus died. The text doesn't say Jesus died in case you sin. Jesus died for our sin. The very things that you're most ashamed of are the things Jesus died for. And are you beginning to see? There is no greater comfort than the gospel because the more you're aware of your failure and your sin and your shortcoming the more driven you are into the very grace of Jesus. That's why when Luther was confronted with the gospel, everything changed for him. Because the more he was aware of how imperfect he was, the more he was able to grasp the perfection of Jesus for him. He was able to write, the afflicted and troubled conscience has no remedy against desperation unless it takes hold of the forgiveness of sin by grace freely offered in Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you a vivid example of this. A little bit later, as Luther was wrestling with all this, as he was processing, what does it mean that Jesus died for my sin? A little bit later, Luther has a spot in one of his books where he's writing about a conversation that he had with the devil. I'm not kidding. And Luther was very aware of the spiritual realm, so probably something like this happened. But Luther, in this conversation, he knows that the devil, his spiritual enemy, is a liar. The devil is an accuser. And so what the devil always does, maybe you've experienced this too, is the devil's main strategy to attack people is to lie to them. And his lie is always about two things. One, you're not lovable. And two, God isn't really gracious. And so the way the lie goes is something like, you've done too many bad things. You've had too many mistakes. You've had too many failures. God doesn't really love you. So you're best trying to figure this out for yourself. That's the lie of the enemy. 
That's the lie that Luther was so used to hearing throughout his life. And then he started to experience the comfort of the gospel. And what he realized is now he had a real weapon to fight against the enemy who would come with those lies. Listen to what he says. This is stunning and beautiful. He writes, when the devil accuses us and says you're a sinner and therefore damned, we should answer, because you say I'm a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. No, says the devil, you will be damned. And I reply, no, for I fly to Christ who gave himself for my sins. Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by setting forth the greatness of my sin and try to bring me into heaviness and distrust and despair, hatred and contempt and blasphemy against God. On the contrary, when you say I'm a sinner, you give me armor and weapons against yourself so that with your own sword, I may cut your throat and tread you under my feet because Christ died for sinners. As often as you object that I'm a sinner, so often you remind me of the benefit of Christ, my redeemer on whose shoulders and not on my own lie all my sins. So when you say I'm a sinner, you do not terrify me, but you actually comfort me immeasurably. Luther realized the comfort of the gospel. The more aware you are of your sin, your failure, your imperfections, the more driven you are into the very grace of Jesus because that's what he died for. And you know what the result of that is? Verse three, grace and peace. A person who knows the gospel is a person who can finally start to experience peace in their heart and even peace in this world. Finally, you can rest. And you know, for some of you today, the burdens that you bring into this place, it's the burdens of a broken world. Stuff that happens to you, stuff that happens around you. The pain and the suffering and the sorrow. The gospel is the promise that we can be at peace, not just with God, but ultimately to know this whole world will be healed. And one day everything sad is going to come untrue. Luther knew that. And so he was able to begin experiencing peace with God and peace in the world, even when life was hardest. That's the logic of the gospel. The more we see brokenness, the more aware we are of our sin, the more driven we are into the very grace of Jesus. And so as we come now to celebrate the Lord's Supper and our time of response, you need the confrontation and the comfort of the gospel. We need to see both the reality of sin, but also the overwhelming beauty of Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray and ask God to help us do that as we come now to this time of response. Our God, thank you for teaching us today from the opening of this great letter to the Galatians. And we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that what we could not do for ourselves, Jesus did for us. That on the cross, Jesus came to rescue us from our sin by giving up his life. And so as we come now to this table to remember that, we pray that you would help us to experience the gospel. That today you'd confront us in the areas of our life where we're too self-reliant, where we're self-absorbed, confront us. And Lord, comfort us with the gospel. Bring us from despair to joy as we remember and rest in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. Meet us now, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen.